you found the Winding Roads Podcast. My name is Isaac Redinger. Each week, my guests and I talk about cars, our own cars, our past cars, cars we're excited about, how we were bitten by the car enthusiast bug, and more. Hop in, buckle up, and join me for another great drive. Welcome, everyone. Happy Monday. Today's special guest, I have John, also known as Moose. Um, you can find him on a few different Discord channels. Uh, I've not actually been on Discord before. What can you tell me about Discord and your experience with it? Sure. So Discord is a platform for communication that was originally started for gaming. And a lot of people have recognized the the usefulness of it. And it's kind of grown into all things, um, even in some cases, business use. But think of uh, Ventrilo or any other those other voice chat programs uh, that it's turned into. So they have servers where a lot of people offer Patreon benefits, for example, if you want to support a content creator or things like that, they usually offer like a Discord benefit where you can get access to a, a Discord server where they can chat with you and you can chat with other fellow patrons, things like that. John and I met actually through another podcast that I listened to. And I think you listen to the podcast as well, or do you consume their video? I consume all things, every day driver. Same. Uh, so we met through Everyday Driver. Um, John is from the Newport News, Virginia area, and I'm from the outside of Philly area. But um, the Everyday Driver guys had a meetup when they were traveling east here in Westchester, uh, basically in my backyard. Uh, just kind of started talking about a couple of things. There's a couple of cars in his history that we'll be talking about in a little bit later. But the news for you is you just took delivery of an F-Type R, a Jaguar uh, F-Type R. Um, that is, I don't remember us talking about that car. How did it come to be? And what are your initial thoughts? Yeah, uh, we did not talk about that car at the time when I met you at the Every Driver uh, meetup for their East Coast trip. I was kind of looking more along uh, Porsches primarily. I was, I started looking for a four-door car that would be comfortable to take friends with when we go like to, to like uh, wine tastings or any other kind of like trip we would do. Uh, and over time, having test driven a few things, I drove an Audi S7, an Audi A7, uh, Mercedes, uh, what was it? S or E50, E550, which is the V8 yeah. um, and a Porsche Panamera, both a, a pre- it was a V8S and a V6 Turbo 4S because around 2014, I believe, is when they changed over to the Turbo V6 okay. for the S models. So I drove all those. And uh, I also have a friend who I work with who has a 996.2911. Uh, and he graciously, graciously offered for me to give it a spin. Or I'd never driven a 911 before. This was shortly after driving the Panameros. So I, uh, I went down, met up with him. Uh, beautiful car, um, really well maintained. He had a, it's uh, got the X51 performance pack, which comes with the Porsche sports exhaust and a couple of other goodies. And it only has, uh, I believe he's, he had 52,000 miles on it and it's a 2002. Okay. Um, so really great car. And I liked it. Um, and that's where I got to thinking, okay, maybe I don't really need four doors as much as I think I do. Uh, and when I met with, with you at the, at the meetup, I actually, uh, got Paul into a little a little mini car debate, and he suggested the G70 and uh, a couple others. But he really suggested that I shy away from the 996, 911s, just because his take was it's a little bit more of the 
the 911 you get when you can't really afford another 911. So you go for that one. Okay. Um, I think it's a fair assessment, <laughs> not having driven any other than 911s, but uh, you can definitely tell it wasn't Porsche's best take, at least compared to, say, the Panameras, where they did an updated interior that would be closer to the 997. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree. It, I mean, the generations prior basically didn't change for like 30 years. Mm-hmm. Um, but like the, so my Cayman, and while it's a little bit different than the, the 997 generation 911s, which came out around 05 as well, they have a slightly different interior, but some of the switch here is the same. I feel like it still feels modern enough. Whereas the 996 is kind of like in this middle ground where it feels old, um, older, but it's not that old of a car. So I can kind of see where that's coming from. Um, but I mean, I've 996s are also making a comeback too. So, you know, in the end of the sure. day, it's still still a 911. Um, but either way, uh, continue with, with the story. Yeah. Yeah. I realize I get into a little bit of a tangent there. <laughs> so, uh, so after all that had happened and I thought, okay, well, you know, maybe I really should be looking more at two doors. Uh, you know, I live with a girlfriend who has a Toyota Prius V, which is not fun to drive, but you know, very uh, utilitarian can put mm-hmm. so much stuff in the back of those. It's the kind of the station wagon version of the Prius. You don't see a whole lot of those. They didn't sell many, uh, but, but that car can do all the kind of, you know, dirtier things that you need to do for home ownership and things like that outside of needing to rent a, a bigger truck. And uh, I've got a Mazda Miata and NB, uh, which is my fun car, but I also wanted something that's a little bit more daily capable. The, uh, the Miata is not great for a daily car, just between all the, the road noise and wind noise. And it isn't big. I mean, I've lived with it. I had got it in 2016 and I, it was my daily driver and my only car for a few years. And I really never had a big problem with it. Um, but, you know, as you get older and uh, you start to like, you, your needs change and all that, it can be nicer to have something that's a little bit more comfortable, even if it's still a two-seater. Sure. Um, so then, you know, I, so I changed gears. And I said, all right, well, let me start looking at two-seaters or two plus twos potentially, but mostly looking at two-seater, two-door coupes. Uh, so I ended up test driving a C7 Corvette, uh, a Toyota Supra, and the Jaguar F-Type. Actually, I did the Supra first, and then the Corvette, and then the F-Type. Pretty much, you know, one day for each car, like back to back to back. And that was an interesting experience because I really expected that I was going to love the Supra, and it was just going to be a little too much money, and I would have a hard time making that happen. I uh, didn't really think I would like the Corvette all that much, but I've heard a lot of great things about Corvettes. Um, yeah, they're they're known for being the old man's Corvette, but at the same time. Uh, they're very capable, especially once you get to the C7, where they actually started making the interiors a little more competitive. Uh, and then, of course, the F-Type was really actually from the Everyday Driver Discord. One of the guys suggested that I should consider it uh, kind of as a almost the, the wild card type. But I said, yeah, well, you know, sure, why not? I'll try it. It's a beautiful car. Um, so I started with the Supra, and I realized immediately that the... Uh, the canopy in the car is very narrow. So you have a very narrow or like short windshield, so to speak, and the windows are the same way. So you actually kind of, to me, it felt like I was in a pillbox uh, looking out, which was really interesting. And when I drove it, I had a couple thoughts. My, my first thing was that I was finding myself nervous to, uh, to really 
let her loose a little bit. And I think there's two reasons for that. One is that this was the car that was on the showroom floor because there aren't a lot of supers available right now. And so there was a lot of pomp and circumstance from the dealer and you know the people I was working with to get the car out from the from the showroom floor and all this stuff. Uh, so that probably got me a little bit on edge, just nerves wise. And uh, the other part is that a lot of people have talked about how it's easy to snap over steer the Supra. Mm. And there've been a number of people who've uh, wrecked the cars on test drives because they're, they get the back end out and aren't able to handle it. Huh. And I got myself concerned that that would be that something that would happen to me. So I ended up being pretty conservative with it. Um, and, but overall between the pillbox effect, I think I could have gotten used to, um, but it was something that I noticed pretty immediately. And the other part was that even though it's got an, it's an excellent engine, you know, it's the BMW's i6, it's, it pulls great all the way through the power band, but it really, to me, it didn't feel like it had a lot of personality. It felt kind of muted and kind of just like, you know, I'm doing as I'm told and that's kind of it. And so I was like, well, this isn't, I felt myself a little underwhelmed and surprised. Uh, I might've also been cooled off a little because the dealer was asking for a $10,000 markup. Um, yeah. <laughs> so those are some factors that I, you know, I have to keep that in mind that maybe I would have felt differently if the car was actually, you know, uh, obtainable at MSRP. Right. Uh, but that was my experience. And I was like, well, I'm not, I'm not finding myself being like, yes, I definitely want this. I'm not, I wasn't blown away. Looks great. I definitely think it has great presence in person. Um, but yeah, I, I, overall, I was just like, okay, not, not as blown away as I thought. So up next was the C7. I found one. I specifically wanted to find one that was an LT2 or higher with the Z51 pack. So that gets you basically Grand Sport light in terms of drivetrain. You get some of the, uh, you have the option for magnetic or magna ride for the magnetic suspension. Otherwise, you still get a sport tune suspension. Mm -hmm. uh, get, you get the exhaust upgrade and a couple of other things that really makes it kind of, you know, that's the big next step from the base trim, in my opinion. Um, this one I drove was an, was an LT3, so it had the leather dash trim and a couple of other like niceties like uh, heated and cooled seats some things like that. Impressions on that car was that I was like, wow, I love this compared to the Supra, um, which was kind of surprising. Uh, I mean, I think that the target top is definitely still something I like. I do like convertibles um, and you get kind of a best of hard top and soft top setup more or less, you don't lose any of the real stru structural rigidity since you still have the hard top. Uh, you don't get as much weight like you would get with a retractable hard top. Um, and, and overall, so you kind of get, you can get open air, you can get coupe-like. Uh, so I really liked that about it. Um, also the power delivery was much more exciting. Definitely with uh, the exhaust note and everything was, was a lot more that could definitely get you a little more excited about it. Sure. Um, so I was like, all right, this is great, you know? All right, cool. So I like this a lot. Let me go drive the F-Type and see how I think compared to that. Uh, my girlfriend came with me on the F-Type test drive. I didn't take her with me on the Supra because I was in Chesapeake, which is about uh, 45 minutes from our mat. And uh, the Corvette, I figured that, you know, if I decided I liked it better than the F-Type, I would take her and see what she thinks of that. But anyway, so she, she went with me on the F-Type test drive. And I can tell you that as soon as I saw the car, I was like, just wow. I thought the Supra had great presence in person, but the F-Type's like another level on top of that. It definitely gives you that sense of like an exotic car. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, I mean, the MSRP on this one was 104,000. So it's not, it's definitely not, you know, an everyday car for the sake of that. Um, but of course, since it's a seven-year-old car now, it's become much more obtainable than it, <laughs> than it was new. Sure. Uh, but 
gotten that and immediately told notice the interior was easily a full step if not two steps above what the corvette was offering hmm. both from a comfort perspective and just the fit and finish um you know both had leather trimmed dashboards and some other things but the craftsmanship on the leather was just notably better it's hard to put an exact word to it but just looking at it you could just tell um you know the stitching just looked more uniform and just like it kind of looked just more solid in a sense um and another thing I noticed with the Corvette that the F-Type didn't have is that the Corvette's uh, right where the leather would meet the defrost vents, it was like peeling up, coming up okay. from out underneath it. And the Corvette I drove was a 2014, so one year older than the F-Type. And so just some things like that, I was like, okay, wow, it's you know only one year older and it's showing significant you know fit and finish issues compared to the F-Type. Uh, but really, I, I mean, the the presence and the stance that it had looking at it in person and then as soon as I went to drive it the exhaust note is insane I mean a lot of people have talked about how great the v6 uh, f-type sounds and the v8 is just it's kind of hilarious it's uh it's bombastic in kind of all the right ways <laughs> so I immediately fell in love I mean the power is insane it's 550 horsepower 501 foot pounds okay. I didn't and, realize uh, they were that high yeah, yeah. And the Corvette is, I believe, 501 horsepower, 501 torque, or maybe it's 500, 500, something like that. It's about that. So, um, and, and it might have been 525. Either way, it's it's close to the F-Type, but not quite as high. And uh, and really, I just found that even though the Corvette was manual and the F-Type uh, only comes in an 8-speed, it's the ZF 8-speed that's in just about everything. And it, I mean, it shifts, bam, bam, bam. If you're in, in manual mode and just kicking it it it's great so um i was immediately in love with it i was like i'm gonna go back and, and double check with the corvette but i was just enamored really from the beginning i was like let me just try and cool off for a second you know let everything sink in go retest drive the other car try and be have do my due diligence and went back yeah. to the corvette seats are way less comfortable it feels like they're pushing it on your thighs um girlfriend immediately noticed as well that it was she was like after five minutes she was like i'm uncomfortable which wasn't a problem in the Jag. So that, that kind of sealed it ultimately. But even if, even if I wasn't, you know, with her or anything, I would have bought the Jag either. So yeah, I'm, I'm super excited with it. It's, it's a lot of fun. Cool. Yeah. I've, yeah. Ever since they, I first saw the F type uh, at a car show, like the, like an auto show type thing. Um, they just, or even in like a magazine, they look stunning. And yeah. the, a couple of, a couple of videos I've seen online, I guess the Type S is the V6. So they have, yeah, they have the base, which I believe is the S trim. And then you have V8S okay. and then you have R and then you have SVR. Okay. SVR um, is essentially the F-Type R with, as far as the engine's concerned, it has some some tweaks to the to the tuning so that it makes 575. Okay. There's a few other differences, like a fixed wing on the back and a couple other things, but okay. um, it's more or less just an, an F-Type R with some added performance goodies. Okay. Um, but I did hear the V6 and the V8 and they both sound great. You're completely right. Like everything you said about it is exactly what I've thought about it previously. Um, and funny enough, back in the winter, like February, March, I so I work at an Audi dealer mm -hmm. and we had gotten an F-Type traded um, and it was silver with like a maroon interior, but the seats, I agree, the seats feel amazing. Um, and seats are a big thing for both of me and my wife. Mm -hmm. And I would, 
I could definitely see that the Corvette would be a, a step down in seat comfort between yeah. those two. Because there's a lot of yeah. adjustability in the seats. They look really yeah. aggressive, but you can kind of really tailor it. They do, yeah. I would say that uh, if, if I'm going to critique the seats, they are comfortable. They're a bit firm, but I think that, you know, I just took it on like a four-hour and change road trip and never really got uncomfortable. Uh, so I would say that they're not too firm. Uh, they offer side bolster adjustments. Uh, and it's like 16 way, I think. So there's a lot of different adjustments. The only thing I wish it did have was adjustments for the thigh bolsters as well. I think that'd be a nice, a nice touch to add, but yeah, it's got a lot of other adjustments and it's, it's actually three memory settings on both sides of the car, which is, I've never actually hmm. seen three settings on either side before. Yeah. I don't think I've ever seen that either. Usually yeah, it's so that, one to three on the driver's side and that's it. Right. Yeah. So I was, I was impressed uh, with that and yeah, it's, I'm, I'm in love with it. I'd say that if I'm going to critique it, cause it's, you know, and it recognizes it's not a perfect car either. Um, it does have some of the soft touch material. That's it's kind of infamous among European cars that gets gummy over time. Hmm. Uh, I've been working on trying to get that cleaned up. I found a couple of suggestions, one of which is uh, makeup remover wipes. That does a pretty hmm. good job of pulling up the, the gummy material. Cause it's just a, it's like, it's kind of like a sprayed on texture of some sort to get, make it feel nice when it's new. But of course it gets tacky and sticky and leaves fingerprints and stuff over time. So I'm working on getting all that removed and it's coming up pretty well. It's just, there's a lot of pieces that have it. Um, so just kind of when I get a chance and it's not blazing hot outside, I'll try and go out there and, you know, use a, use a wipe and kind of get some more pieces cleaned up with it. Um, but really besides that, I'd say that it's a little heavy. Um, a lot of people have questioned how much of a sports car is it or how much of a GT car is it? Uh, and everyone's kind of had different opinions for me. I think it's really, like a 80% sports car, 20% GT. Maybe you could, I could get with 70, 30 sports car to GT car. Uh, but I think that it's really more geared towards being a sports car, even though it weighs 37 and change, I believe. Um, so it's not light. And it's kind of surprising because it has an all aluminum chassis. So I'm not really sure where all the weight comes in. I mean, it's a big engine, of course, five liter uh, supercharged, but uh, it makes up for a lot, a lot with the power, honestly. <laughs> And it's not a slouch in the corners either. You can tell the weight's there, um, yeah. but if you, once you get the weight settled in, it, it feels pretty well planted. And that's even been my driving on on uh, all-season tires. I don't even have summer tires on it right now. It came with all-seasons. And at the moment, that's kind of ideal for me just because it is the daily car. So even through winter, um, Virginia gets cold enough that you can't run summer tires year-round. Sure. Uh, so it's definitely nice that it comes with those. And I'm probably going to end up getting a, a set of uh, Pilot Sport 4S most likely um tires put on it for summer use and um hopefully take it to the track before too long because even though i i know a lot of people have said it's, it's heavy it's gonna go through a lot of consumables and it will um but if i do it once or twice a year it's not gonna be enough to keep me from doing it because sure it just it'll be so much fun on the track for sure what uh what kind of all seasons are on it currently it currently has the uh is it bridgestone potenza az something i can't remember the i think it's like az85 or something like that hmm. it's their yeah. ultra high performance all season they're not they're not yeah. from what i've looked up so far they're really not bad all seasons i think a lot of people tend to prefer the what is it the pilot sport 4as i believe uh and then there's also the um continentals dws yeah all season what is that extreme contact sport all season something like that mm -hmm. uh both of those are people tend to go for a little bit more, but I've found that these are 
are doing quite well for me. They definitely, sure. uh, I mean, the car will spin back tires like no one's business. I mean, it's a muscle car. It's just the, yeah. the gentleman's muscle car, really. So uh, from that perspective, it's easy to get the back end out. And especially if you have it in dynamic mode, which is the Jag sport mode, uh, it'll be, it's pretty lax on the, on the uh, traction control. So it'll let you slip out a good bit before reeling in, which I think has been a good balance of, you can get into it and know that you still have some protection. So you're not going to necessarily just swing the whole thing out. Um, but it'll, you'll still let it get a little squirrely before it catches in. So I think they did a good job with the trash control management too. Yeah. I mean, I'm not familiar with the, um, the Bridgestone tire lineup for the most part. Uh, the Continental DWS, I feel like one of the few people that actually dislikes them because they've been around for at least 10 years and everyone swears by them. They're relatively inexpensive and they are a decent performer. I just, the, the one time I've tried them, I wasn't super impressed. Um, but I can say if you do decide to go back to all seasons next, I do personally recommend the um, pilot sport all season four. They're on my wife's car and they're the first tire that we both agree on for her car. So um, they haven't let me down yet as for an all season tire. They, they perform really well. But there's nothing like a summer tire also. I'll definitely say yeah. that. Yeah, I looked it up. It's the Bridgestone Potenza RE980 AS+. Okay, I think I've heard of that one before. It's a pretty, yeah. it's a fairly common OE tire for certain manufacturers. Yeah, so it, I think it's overall a good all-season tire. Yeah, it, it may not hold up quite as nicely to the Bridgestones, or I'm sorry, mm-hmm. the Bridgestones, the Michelins, the uh, Pilot Sports, but... Uh, so far I've been happy with it, not having a chance to compare it, you know, back to back to something else. Love the show and want to help it grow. Now you can head over to patreon.com slash winding roads podcast. You'll find posts with show updates as well as be able to select your support tier with three tiers to choose from. You can simply support the show, get a shout out, or even make a special request and join me for a drive in our own cars. I appreciate your support. It truly means a lot and will go a long way to helping deliver a better show for you. Uh, so before this was, you had a very different car before this, didn't you? I did. I had a Tesla Model 3. Okay. What are, I'm curious for, you had it for what, two, three years? I had it for like two years on the dot. Okay. I'm just curious um, what a former owner's perspective is on it. Cause I haven't really heard too much about it from an actual owner. Yeah. So, uh, you might have to reel me in a little bit because I can talk on it for a hot minute. Um, overall, I, I had a great experience for me personally. I think the biggest thing right now with Tesla, and I'll kind of leave it as a, as a little bit of a pencil in to come back to, is that your mileage may vary a lot depending on the one you get, um, right, with, as far as like quality control and stuff like that sure. goes. Uh, but from a general perspective, I had, uh, when I bought it, I had a round trip commute to work that was about 10 miles. So it was really nothing crazy. As a matter of fact, I never installed a level two or 240 volt charger at my house. I just plugged it into the 120 volt outlet. And that gets you five to six miles per hour of charge. Uh, So generally, you know, I would be able to recoup any of my typical charging habits overnight on the 120 volt, um, just your typical wall outlet. So from that perspective, you know, it was just easy. I did get used to not having to go to the gas pump, not paying attention to gas prices. I mean, I still had the Miata, but I didn't drive it enough to where it was something I would even pay attention to. And there was something that was really nice about that. It also had, I mean, it had plenty of power. I, I had the standard range plus. So 
that was the 250 mile range from factory. I think it was actually 240 when I bought it and they managed to get a little bit more out of it with some software updates. Um, but that single motor, I think it's close to 300 horsepower. Um, and I'm not sure where the torque comes out to, but zero to 60 was 5.3 seconds. And, um, you know, it had the ability to kick you back in the seats. As long as you got above like 20 or so miles an hour, you could get hundred percent power down to the wheels. Uh, cause they used a, I believe it's called a stator motor. There's two different types of motors. One has a solid core and one has, um, or a solid copper core and one has like a solid steel core. So you get, it's, uh, it ramps up power. Uh, instead of having 100% power at zero, it takes about somewhere between like 30, 25 to 35 miles an hour before it gets 100% power down. Um, so you don't have quite as much of like the immediate kick that you get from stop with the dual motors and, and uh, uh, performance versions. But uh, overall, just it was, I mean, it was nice. There was, you know, no maintenance to deal with. I really had, I did nothing to the cars except for windshield wipers for maintenance. That's all I did to it. I didn't own it long enough to switch out tires. So of course, tires would be a thing. Alignment could potentially be a thing. But there's very little maintenance involved, which is nice from a, you know, you buy the car and you can drive it for tens of thousands of miles and not really need to do anything to it. You really do need to get the uh, brakes lubricated uh, once a year, because if you're not typically with the uh, region capability, especially if you use the one pedal driving feature, you may not use the brakes a single time on like a short trip. But I, I enjoyed it a lot. It was It was a lot of fun to drive. It was a lot of unique aspects to it. Um, although I do think the asterisk to being fun to drive is that some of the initial, wow, it's not making any noise. Wow, the kickback immediately with just like no emotion or just like, bam, done, power. It's kind of something that is a trick that doesn't hold up over time as much. You kind of just get used to it and it doesn't have the same level of like emotion and things you get out of the, the sound you get from a motor, at least for somebody who's a who's a car enthusiast like we are. Sure. Uh, I'm sure a lot of your listeners would could relate to that is that the sound of a, of a good engine can make up for a lot of the over the whole experience you get. And so I did find myself missing some exhaust note. I mean, the Miata is a little, a little four cylinder and I like the way it sounds for what it is. Mm-hmm. But before the Tesla, I had a, a Ford Explorer Sport, which I am not super proud to admit because it's you know a big SUV and I'm a sports car guy that doesn't really have a need for for a big SUV, but uh, it was it had the features, the bells and whistles I wanted, and still had a lot of power. So that was the EcoBoost 3.5 liter V6 twin okay. turbo. Um, so I had gone from that to the Tesla, and even though the Explorer didn't have great exhaust or anything, there's just a certain element that's hard to you can, I found myself missing a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, that's not why I sold it. I sold it because I was offered more money than I paid for it new because of the crazy car market and just decided that, well, I can have owned the car for two years. And if, I calculated it out to where I was effectively just paying for uh, taxes, not even taxes, property taxes and insurance. And that was really all I paid for the car over that two-year period. So all the money I spent on you know purchase tax, purchase price, I did paint protection film on the full front nose. Uh, all that ended up getting coming out in the wash by the time I um, got the extra money out of it. So nice. Uh, and the tax credit too. There was a, there was a Virginia tax credit that came out to like uh, around two thousand dollars. So all that said, it was I enjoyed the experience. I think it was great. I question. I be I hesitate to recommend it to uh, people who aren't willing to 
kind of accept that there may be some issues and really be willing to give it a break in that aspect. Mm-hmm. Um, there were some fit and finish problems even with mine. None of them were break the experience entirely, have it at the dealer for weeks or, well, the service center for Tesla. Um, but little things like when I first got it, the steering wheel squeaked when I turned it. It had like a like a rubber boot that wasn't sealed correctly. Uh, the the front window needed to be adjusted because it had some wind noise when you get to like 45 miles an hour. Um, it had a problem where the battery pack fluctuates or there's air pressure differences and the valves they had to alleviate the air pressure during supercharging yeah. uh, weren't meeting the need. So they would, it would cause like a thump sound where the flex, the steel plate that covers the bottom of the, the battery pack would flex and cause like a thump sound off and on while you're kind charging. Of like when you, if you're opening a, an aluminum can before you actually crack it, where you can like make it pop back and forth or like a, like a Snapple cap. Yeah. Uh, kind of like that. Yeah. Large version of that. Yeah. If you've ever had a, if you've ever had a, um, like a baking sheet flex and pop mm. in the, in the oven, just like sure. that. Okay. But ultimately, yeah, those are, those are good examples too. Uh, so none of those things really like were showstoppers as far as, um, the experience goes, but they are all little things that add up to where you're like, well, I've, I've bought a car that's, you know, 40 some thousand dollars, which nowadays doesn't seem like a crazy amount. It's, it's still not a crazy amount for what you get. Um, but it is not a small amount of money for, you know, the average person. I mean, 40,000 is not, not a small amount. So to buy a car and have that many little things you have to kind of have to keep taking it back to the service for service center for can be, can wear on you if you're not somebody who is really passionate about the car and what it's, what it's providing to you. Sure. So I definitely keep that as a, as a, big grain of salt mm-hmm. um, when looking at, at Tesla as a potential option. I also had an Explorer um, a few cars back. So when you said about having an Explorer without a need for it, I could relate to that. Yeah. I'm a big fan of wagons and, and honestly mm-hmm. uh, it's definitely something that I've, that I've picked up from everyday driver, but you know, tool for the job type thing uh, mm-hmm. with cars. So if, if you're in a position where you're able to have more than one car um, and it's something that you're open to doing, I think it's, it's definitely, there's a good, uh, you get a better car experience overall when you have a couple different cars that can fit different needs. And so I have a, I have a friend right now that uh, is, he had a Tahoe that was totaled. Uh, somebody uh, T-boned him and tried to hit and run. Um, luckily he was okay and his family was too, but totaled the car and he's looking at it, potential other options. And uh, he really needs it for ham- family hauler uses. He has uh, three girls and he was looking at like Sequoias that are like 70, $80,000. And I was like, man, I know it's not the popular opinion right now, but minivan. I mean, the minivan will do everything you want. It'll do a better mm-hmm. job than Sequoia will, mm-hmm. except for towing, but he already has a Tundra for that. So there you go. Uh, yeah. So I was like, I know it's not that popular, but it will do a great job. It'll get you so much better fuel economy. You'll and it'll probably room. be nicer to, to use for that kind of stuff too. Yeah, for sure. I would, I would not hesitate to go with a, with a van. I've always liked them because like, I tend to like utility versus, other stuff first. So like, that's always my priority. Um, and so like, you can't get more utilitarian than a, than a van. Uh, so like, yeah. if you're, if you're doing a job, like, what does it matter? You know, I actually saw, uh, I, I work in it and, and a number of years ago, I was, I was, uh, doing a build out where we were expanding a, a building that we owned and we had guys come in to run network cables and they were using a Honda Odyssey as their work vehicle. And it had a bunch of ladders strapped to the top of it and the you know, back, all the seats were taken out and it was filled with all their different tools and, you know, supplies and things. And it looked like it did a great job for what they were doing back then. You might, 
might have gotten a whole lot better fuel economy than you get with a truck, but actually truck fuel economy has gotten a lot better over the years too. So mm-hmm. they probably were still, you know, spending less money on fuel and things like that. Uh, yeah. It probably rides better than, you know, an F-150 would have at the time either. That was probably, uh, if I were to guess, the Odyssey was probably like a 2008 to 2010. Um, so if you think of F-150s from that generation, um, probably a notable improvement on fuel economy just from going minivan. Yeah. And ride and quality too. With some of the current vans, you can have the option to get them all-wheel drive. Yep. Some of them are also hybrid. Um, and so like if you're carrying around seven or eight people, while some SUVs can do that, usually those third rows, if you put them up, there's like room for a duffel bag behind the seat, you know, in the back. Whereas a van, yep. you're still gonna have a decent amount of room uh, or at least more so. Um, it's just like wagons in America, it's just kind of an overlooked segment that people don't, I think, appreciate as much as they, they deserve. Right. Yeah, the, the Toyota Sienna right now only comes in a hybrid, but it gets 35, 35. Uh, there's a couple of trims to get 36 highway versus 35 highway, depending. Uh, they have one that actually is a little bit lifted for a little bit more capable, like, you know, fire road type thing. Hmm. Uh, not jacked up by any means, but does have a little bit of extra ground clearance. I think it adds like three inches of ground clearance compared to the standard. Um, and of course they have an E-all wheel drive system as well. So they have an electric motor that powers the, the back wheels. Um, and that's, I mean, 35, no matter how you slice it, for something that can carry seven people and all the stuff that you need to go mm-hmm. is pretty impressive. So that's, you know, I've, I told him, you know, Sequoia is awesome. Like I wouldn't, he's looking at the brand new ones and I was like, I wouldn't give you a hard time for it, but I think that you definitely should consider a minivan as an option just because the, from a financial standpoint and a utility standpoint, it's really, you can't like overlook it. You have to at least look at it. Yeah. Yeah. Just kind of try to put preconceived notions aside Look at it for what your uses are. That's my take on it. I know it's not uh, necessarily everyone's opinion, but um, mm-hmm. I definitely can see the use case for them. And I do think they're they're overlooked and underappreciated for what they offer for the market mm-hmm. for sure. One thing I would like to end on is I'm curious what your first memory that involves a car is. So the furthest back memory that I can clearly recall, I was probably six, if I were to guess. My mother had, and actually, I think this is a pretty decent story. <laughs> so my mother had an Oldsmobile 88, uh, which was a beautiful blue color, honestly. I mean, the car was a, you know, not exactly the most stylish or fun car, but very comfortable. It was the, you know, blue metallic exterior with the blue cloth seats on the interior, like uh, GM used to do in the in the 90s. Because uh, I think it was a early 90s car, even though it was the model was an 88. And my dad had a, a uh, F-150 company truck that he was allowed to use for you know some personal things within reason. And so we were going camping and we had a, a small power boat that he towed with the F-150 work truck. And we had a pop-up camper that we towed with those mobile 88, which is funny because you know so many people kind of overlook the fact that cars can still tow lightweight things, right? Uh, but you don't often see cars towing something. So it was, it was kind of fun that we had the, Little Oldsmobile 88 towing this this pop-up camper, but the the interesting part about it is we were heading along. We were going up to the mountains in Virginia, and uh, I think my dad was ahead of us at the time, so it was me, my brother, and my mom in the in the Oldsmobile, and we were driving along and everything was fine, and suddenly we saw sparks in the rearview mirror, and look back and the the whole the tongue had come off the car and I guess we didn't secure like the, the chains to it or something was, you know, not set up right. And the car just, sl- the camper slowly drifted off into, oh. into the side of the road uh, and into the grass. And 
just it, I will never forget looking in the rearview mirror and just seeing the thing just like bye, <laughs> just <laughs> sliding off. And it and it actually it all turned out pretty well. It it went off the side of the road and ran to a tree, um, and just put a dent on the front of the pop up, uh, like the the actual piece that you crank up the roof portion of it, mm-hmm. um, and maybe a little bit of the body, but it didn't get mangled up real bad. It, we just were able to. Uh, tow it back out my you know dad used the truck to get it back out and hooked it back up to the automobile and off we went uh, awesome <laughs> but yeah that was a that was something i'll never forget it was a really interesting you know i can picture it in my mind's eye exactly how it went um but that was an interesting car that Oldsmobile was it was surprisingly comfortable yeah um, i guess those kind of the the boat style american cars that we used to have but sure that's my that's my first memory that i can at least clearly recall that's awesome I love that story about the old 88 and it actually, you reminded me of my parents. Um, I think it was like late eighties when I was a kid, they had an, a Buick century, which mm-hmm. I think was also blue. And it had like the blue, um, like velour type interior, which yeah, I imagine yeah. the 88 had as well. It's exactly like that. It was yeah. like, so like, so like standard back then. Um, right. yeah, that when you were telling that story, I'm like, I could imagine, a camper on the back of my parents' Buick Century, and it was, it was great. Um, yeah, I didn't expect that story to go there at all. You never know what's going to come up when you ask that question, and I always enjoy it listening to the answers. I'm glad it was a good, uh, a good twist in the road there. So you are on Discord. I met. I know you're not really a big social media person. Um, people can kind of catch up with you. And you are you on more than one Discord platform, or so, like I should say, group or. Yeah, so uh, Discord is really set up so where you can do private messaging or direct messaging, and uh, you can also be members of servers. Uh, so if you if somebody wanted to reach out to me, they could just look up uh, Moose hashtag one zero zero six, or I guess pound potentially depending on uh, how you want to look at it. But um, you could send direct requests for requests like that, and do allow for requests from from people. So I'd be open okay. to that. Or uh, I am also on the Everyday Driver Discord. I'd be the only other one that may be relevant to to our audience here but sure for sure cool all right well moose it was great having you on again um love talking and um we didn't get through nearly all the questions i had for you so i'll have to have you on again sometime (laughs) yeah Um, but it was a great fun and uh and yeah i realize sometimes i can get a little uh carried away with the stories but i'd love to come back there's definitely a lot more i can imagine us talking about for sure cool for sure. So you enjoy that F-Type R, and I look forward to hearing more stories about it the next time we talk. Um, I definitely will. Thanks again for joining me. You can reach me by email at windingroadspodcast at gmail.com or on Instagram at windingroadspodcast. Stay in touch. You can always ask me a question, recommend a guest, or just tell me what's on your mind. I look forward to hearing from you. Your feedback is also always appreciated, and I would love it if you could rate and review the show on your favorite podcast app of choice. Until next time, enjoy the drive.